We are in the second book of the, of the Bible. That is the book of Exodus. Ek means out of. Chodas means road. So it's the road out or exit is the idea. We pick it up in the first verse. We're in uh, the area of uh, Moses and Aaron, Moshe and Aaron, standing before Pharaoh as God is seeking to let his people go. And he had already warned them ahead of time that it's going to be a long road. But in the end of it all, it'll be more than just God killing every Egyptian and setting Israelis free. God wants every Egyptian to know that he's Lord too. By the time you get to the book of Joshua, we'll find that God, what becomes evident, and we should know it the whole time, is that God wants every person to know that he's Lord. It doesn't matter whether you're in a squatter in India, or whether you're an aborigine from Australia, or whether you're working on the east side in that giant glass pickle. Regardless, God wants you to know he's Lord. And he has this beautiful way because he loves us so much, of systematically dismantling every other thing that you could replace him with. Now, he does that out of love for you. Now, he doesn't have to. He could let you just run to your own demise, but in his infinite love for you, he has this way of showing that everything that you could find important really just doesn't hold a candle to the one who created the candle, by the way. So here we are now in the second of ten plagues, Chapter 8, verse 1. Would you read along with me, please? And the Lord spoke to Moses, Go to Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, Let my people go, that they may serve me. But if you refuse to let them go, I will smite all your territory with frogs. Now, I don't know how many of you have thought, Oh no, not frogs. We'll get into that in a moment. So the river shall bring forth frogs abundantly, which shall go up and come into your house, into your bedroom, on your bed, into your houses of your servants, your people, into your ovens, into your kneading bowls. And the frogs shall come up on you, on your people and on your servants. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, say to Aaron, stretch out your hand with your rod over the streams, over the rivers and over the ponds cause frogs to come out on the land of Egypt. So Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt, and the frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt. And the magicians did so with their enchantments and brought up frogs on the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh called Moshe and the Aaron, and he said, Entreat the Lord that he may take away frogs from me and from my people, and I will let the people go that they may sacrifice to the Lord. And Moses said to Pharaoh, Accept the honor of saying when I shall intercede for you, for your servants and for your people, to destroy the frogs from you and from your houses, that they may remain in the rivers only. So he said, Tomorrow. Who in the right mind? Your house, everything is covered in frogs. And he says, so say, say when. Which one of you doesn't think, now, now is good, now, no, no, tomorrow. Okay, tomorrow it is. We'll get into that too. And he said, let it be according to your word that you may know that there is no one like the Lord our God. The frogs shall depart from you, from your houses, from your servants, and from your people. They shall remain in the river only. Then, then Moses and Aaron went out from Pharaoh, and Moses cried out to the Lord concerning the frogs which he had brought against Pharaoh. 
So the Lord did according to the word of Moses, and the frogs died out in the house of the houses, out of the courtyards and out of the fields. And they gathered them together in heaps. And the land stank, don't you think? But when Pharaoh saw that there was relief, he hardened his heart and did not heed them as the Lord had said. Will you pray with me, please? God, thanks. How wonderful, glorious, magnificent, splendorous, kind, beautiful you are. And Lord, every person here, Lord, we all are in need of you. And yet, Lord, you may speak to us in different manners. Some of us, Lord, English is not our first language. And I pray you bypass that concern today and speak fluent us. By the power of your Holy Spirit, you can minister to each of us. Some of us are in different stages. We're all in different stages in our walk with you. Some still investigating, perhaps. Perhaps if there be any who have yet to say yes to you, let today be the day that they say yes. For those who have, God, from the infant in you, Lord, to the one who should be out and about on the field, I pray that you would minister right where we're at. As you know, every hair on our head or every hair that used to be there, every hair we wish was there, you know every freckle. You know every, our, every tooth, the, every filling, every speck of dust that lands on our skin. You know our victories we hold in our heart is strong and those things, those regrets we wish we could walk from. You know every situation that right now makes this day a rough one or a great one. You know everything that could distract us today, for which I pray you carve off completely that there be nothing interfering in this time now. I pray, God, that you would take me now, and, and here I am, your jersey. Put me on. Take my lips and attach them to your heart and speak. Let there not be an extra word spoken, nor one word short. Redeem every second, and Lord, go as long as you want, not a second longer or shorter. And in that God, minister now, I pray. Let this be a day of encouragement, where we enjoy your word, where it bursts open and comes alive. Take the black and white and fill in the color now, I pray. May this be more meaningful than we've ever understood it to be. God, I thank you. I thank you for the privilege, God, of being able to stand before your flock today. And Lord, I praise you for the honor. So Lord, fill me to overflowing with your Holy Spirit that you would do through me supernaturally what I cannot do. Minister to each person right where they need, me included. And have your way now, I pray. We submit ourselves to you. May we worship you, God, with our attention, with our intention to apply it to our lives with our retention to hold it in our memory and take your word now and plant it upon the soil of our hearts and bring forth great fruit, I pray. God, this is your day. Have at us, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I would say today as I would any, please don't just believe me. Don't just assume it's true because I say so. Search the scriptures. Let the Bible always be the authority, the final word. Let me introduce you to someone. Tay, will you help me out with this, please? 
um, this is going to help us a little bit understand things. First of all, if we're going to understand the idea of the frogs, we might want to figure out what frog we're talking about. Now, you're probably aware of the fact there are over 400 different species of frogs and toads out there. And so this one, by the way, is the Nile. So I would assume that this is the frog we're dealing with unless it's changed a great deal over the last 3,500 years. Now, to give you a rough reference for it, they roughly are... Oh, is that the next slide? Oh, so let's go a couple more. We're missing. They're out of order now. That's the problem. Okay, one more. There we go. They're roughly about that size. They're about the size of the length of your fingers. So if you take a look at the length of your fingers, that's roughly the size of a toad. Um, let's go back to that second slide for a second. And this becomes the problem. Now, ultimately, according to Egyptian mythology, this little frog-headed beauty here is a girl named Hecht. Like, what the Hecht? And more. It couldn't have been more appropriate than this time. So, and, and, and I don't want to preach somebody else's deal, but at least it's important for us to understand this as it gives us a better understanding of this particular text. Now, this particular dandy is supposed to be their creator god, and they're supposed to be married. Now, with all due respect, if I was the one who could create anything and I was creating a mate, I guarantee you she would not have a frog head. That's just my attitude. But the idea, well, you can figure that one on your own. Okay, here's the idea was that this is a potter's wheel. And the idea was that man was made on a potter's wheel. Now, where do you think they got that idea from? Because interesting, in the actually second chapter of Scripture, in the book of Genesis, it says that God formed man out of the dust of the ground in the same way that is used about a person who forms a pot. That's the same idea. Well, well, certainly way before this. And the idea is, is he sort of makes man on the potter's wheel. Her job is to sort of give life to them. So she becomes the queen of the Nile. She becomes this frog-faced little beauty. You can go to the next slide there. Thank you, Tay. Um, and, and with that, she is worshipped. And she is worshipped as Hecht, as, by the way, the goddess of childbirth, and the goddess that brings sort of all things good into your life. That's sort of the idea. Since the Nile is supposed to be where life came from, she's the one who's supposed to, in essence, brings purpose. Because she's the one, for, for a generation, and much like a lot of the Middle East today, having babies is a really, really big deal. As a matter of fact, there are places in the Middle East that the average family has 11 children. Now, and the idea of that is, is, is if our particular group of people have more babies than your particular group does, sooner or later we'll rule the area. And that's generally the idea. So having babies is a really big deal. Very much opposite, by the way, to a lot of the Western culture where having babies is almost deleterious to your success. Um, and I don't mean that that I agree with that. Now, so with that, it's important that people would go, especially one specific time of the year, when the Nile floods. And when the Nile floods, by the way, Pharaoh, in charge of the Ka, would come in and worship, which appears to be the time we're looking at here, which is roughly around June, July. And that is because he is going to the, to the uh, river in the first place, as we saw when he turned the water to blood in the last plague. Pharaoh isn't going down there to take a bath. He's going down there to worship. So think about this. We're at the flood banks. Now, in the eyes of the average Egyptian... And by the way, another thing we learn about these frogs is they're very loud. And by the way, they're one of the very few species in the world, pardon me for saying, where the male is louder than the female, for what it's worth. You know those like mosquitoes, the only ones that make noise? They're the women. Anyway, so uh, I'm going to make some friends with that, aren't I? So, but the idea is, is if the frogs, the frogs would come up during the flooding season, and when they would come up, 
if you could hear them, the more frogs, the better. That was the attitude. In other, in other words, it's like more frogs, more luck was kind of the idea. Well, except for this particular time. Now, now understand, they only stayed roughly right around the banks of the, of the Nile. And that's one of the reasons why only the Pharaoh and his family were able to go down to the river during that time. Because it was a capital offense to kill a frog. And that becomes the fundamental thing that flavors our entire study today is that the idea was that it was even something you really didn't want to touch a frog. Now, not because they were gooey and gross, but because the idea was is that they were sort of magical, so you didn't want to kill a frog. Now, the idea of that, now, in, you're probably aware of it. In India, there are many places today. Now, now they won't kill you for it. They'll just say that thing, bad things will happen to you next time. But, but you can't kill a, a rat because they're worshipped. As a matter of fact, they leave cream out for rats so that the rats can multiply like Rats. And, and, and with that, so here they go. And so the people are going to be worshiping this hect. Go ahead in the next slide, if you would, please. And here she is, by the way, at the Nile. And that's where they expect to find her. They find hect at the Nile so they can have a really happy day. Now, now for us, by the way, the idea of it is simple. Okay, there's this point in life where you recognize that somebody has to give you life. And either the life is going to be money or success or it's going to be whatever it is for you. But there's beyond just finding life, there is the idea of finding a purpose in it. Finding something where you sort of find your identity in it. Now, there are many in the Christian world today, and I don't dare say this um, without really, to be honest, with a broken heart. That they kind of get this idea that, that God, thank you God for saving me, I'm not going to go to hell. You're my get out of hell free card, but the world's for fun. The world's for purpose. And I'm going to find Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I don't want to go to hell. But man, now that we've got that sort of settled, we've got all that sorted, now I'm going to go and dive into the world with everything else. And that, kind of, that sort of plays out the same as what you would find with Hecht. Because it's like she's the one who's sort of going to make your life a little bit nicer. And God un- really wants to make clear, and not just to the Egyptian, but to every one of us, that the world is the place to minister to. It is not the place to take from. It is the place where we are supposed to go as the living and bring life to the dead. Not the place to go and to try to sip off of the, t- the cocktail that already is poisoning the rest of the world. Now, were there any slides? Have we gone through them all? Okay, okay let me see one more if there is. Okay, well, there you go. There's that little cutie. And this, by the way, because she is the queen of, for what it's worth, of, um, of childbirth, by the way, it's important to recognize that all of the, the um, handmaids were considered servants of Hecht. Now, do you remember that there were two midwives that were already spoken of in this book? There were two that, by the way, were Hebrew, if you remember. And I find it interesting as we kind of look at them. Uh, by the way, their names were Shifra and Pua. Can you say Shifra and Pua? And uh, these, they sound like a children's girls um, cartoon because their names mean glisten and glitter. So there you go. So Shifra and Pua, and they remember they refused to kill the Hebrew boys. But they were, would have been concerned, considered by the Egyptians servants of Hecht. Oh, for what it's worth. Okay, go ahead and you can kill that. Thank you. Okay, now, now let's get into our text. Now, I'd like you to consider the fact that Jeffrey can't step on a frog. Bruno can't lean on a frog. You know, Charlene can't sit on a frog. You can't do anything with a frog. You, can't, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't bake a frog, would you? You wouldn't cook a frog. I mean, how horrible would that be? You would be killed because, you know, you're what the heck. So, with that... Chapter 8, verse 1, look what it says. The Lord said to Mo- spoke to Moses, Go to Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, Let my people go that they may serve me. 
Now, the word is avad, by the way. It's the same way that God put Adam in the garden to tend to. God says, I want them to tend to me. But if you refuse, and of course, the but is assuming that, of course, knowing better, to let him go, behold, I will smite all your territory with frogs. Now, wait a minute. Could you imagine being smitten with a good thing? Because in the eyes of the Egyptians, frogs are a good thing. The problem is there are some things that you can have that a little seems like a good thing, but a whole lot's really bad. My um, middle brother, I have two brothers. My middle brother was the, um, was the one who had it all. I mean, of, of the three of us, he was by far the best looking. He was a Navy SEAL. He was um, a real tough cat, charming out of his, out of his mind. But he had a problem. He had a couple problems. And one of them was he was too darn charming. He was so charming, he thought he could charm his way out of anything. You know those kind of people? Some people like that, they purposely get themselves into trouble just to see how they can get themselves out of it. He was one of those guys. Well, Mitch is his name. Mitch was one of those guys that he had gotten to a point where he had been terribly, well, he became really controlled by controlled substances. But he had gone to a rehab but that darn charming guy, within a few weeks, like Joseph, but worse, found himself in charge of the whole rehab. And with that, they had confiscated some drugs from one of the people that had been there. And Mitch's attitude was, well, if a little is a good thing, lots a great thing. And we rolled Mitch over into a pool of his own blood. It was the last time he was ever alive. And that's what happens. And it doesn't matter what it is. People say, well, a little is a good Sometimes what God has a habit of doing is taking something you think is so darn good in a little and giving it to you in the purest of forms. Israel had a problem with idols. So God sends them to Babylon, which is, in essence, idolville of the world. And with that, you'll never find that Israel will worship another idol again in Scripture until you get to the end times where they make this big one in the temple and all the Jewish people go ballistic as they should. Well, here God is showing what happens when you take something you think is good in a little form and shows it to you in a purest of forms. And he will do that for you. And all of a sudden you realize that which seems so cool just isn't so cool anymore. He did that with the business with me. Before I knew him, so at least I could say in my defense I was ignorant, I remember what it was like to dive into the music business and get enough of it to realize how dangerous it is in its purest form. It's just greed and inhuman service. Now, here it's frogs. I mean, how harmful could frogs be, right? Verse 2, if you refuse to let him go, I will smite. I will smite all your territory with frogs. So you can see in this that God, in essence, is hitting with pillows, right? So the river shall bring forth frogs. And notice there are three scenarios in verse 3. They shall come into your house, your bedroom, and on your bed. That's the first scenario. The houses of your servants, your people, and your ovens, and your kneading bowls. That's your second. And the frogs shall come up on you, on your people, and on your servants. That's your third. Now, this is what happens in life when we choose something else to fulfill us not just save us or bring us life. I mean, that's denial. But to fulfill us? You can think of Hannah. 
in the book of Samuel, weeping because she was childless. We can think of Sarah, said I, in the book of Genesis, troubled because she was childless, seeking fulfillment in a child. Well, the frog was your fulfillment in Egypt. My question to you is simple. What's your fulfillment? What fulfills you? Are you single? And are you convinced that if you got married, that would fulfill you? We need to pray for your future spouse right now. The word saved in the Greek, sodze, means to be rescued, so that's safe. It also means to be made complete. Jesus died on the cross to fulfill you. No matter whatever else in the world, it always seems like there's something and something else. Coming from California, surfing, as you might be surprised, is it was a very big deal. And they were like, surfing's my religion. The wave is my cathedral. <sighs> I'm like, does it fulfill you? Yeah. So why do you have to smoke pot first? Well, because it double fulfills me. <laughs> Thanks, got it. See, the coolest thing about Jesus is it really doesn't have to be Jesus and anything else. As a matter of fact, the strange thing about God's math, you put Jesus and you put a plus next to it, it winds up becoming a minus, if that makes any sense to you. And strange as it is, well, I'll take Jesus and this periodical. Well, that's less Jesus. I'll take Jesus and a spouse, please, for 100. You know what I mean? You get to this point where sooner or later you realize whatever you're trying to add to that recipe puts less Jesus in your cup. Now, here's the difference. Every relationship we come to, you're either going to come in a state of need or a state of overflow. That's everything. Every relationship you enter into in a state of need will be unfair to the person you're coming to. That's like we're all cups, and I'm running over to you with a straw. The problem is you're coming over to me with a straw, too. So I suck, you suck, and in the end of it all, yeah, how does that make you feel? Hey, I suck. <laughs> but isn't it true? You know when you leave? When they're empty. I'll just go find another cup. See, I've learned this from teaching basketball, and I'm going to get back right into our text, but tell me if this makes any sense. As a coach, when you start to watch your team, I and mean, there's only five people out there that are on your team at the time, if, there's, if they're all supposed to be out there, and, and you realize, you start to analyze, are we in a state of protection or in a state of pursuit? Because if you're in protection, that means you kind of are intimidated by your opponent, and you're just trying to protect your own goal. You're just trying to keep them from shooting. But if you're in a state of pursuit, you really feel like you're on top of the thing and you're charging for your goal and you're going to start making points. You can't win a game by protecting your goal the whole time. You have to make a bucket or the best you can do is tie at zero. And I think that a lot of life is lived like that. You spend your time, some people are spending their time, they're so busy protecting everything, they really aren't going after the Lord like they should. That's no way to live life. Hey, look at what I got. Whoop, whoop, whoop. 
Now I've got an alarm that no one's going to listen to and get irritated when someone bumps into my car. But hey, I've got a, it's got an alarm, and I stay awake at night. I park that thing right outside my window, so when I roll over, I can do this in the middle of the night. I used to sleep through the night, but now I can look. One special light, you know, motion detector. So if the leaves grow a little hard, <laughs> ah! okay. What a life. Congratulations. Now I'm not here to pick on the fact, the fact that you have like stuff or whatever, but the bottom line is either you're going to be in pursuit of the Lord Jesus Christ or you're going to be a protection of everything else. And in this text, we're going to go back to this hecht character. She's going to be the one thing that you, in, in their mind that you think, well, this will satisfy, this will complete me. But could you imagine yelling at God and saying, God, that person broke up with me, and now I'm alone when Jesus died to be with you? Hung on a cross, beaten, bloody, to be with you, and we're thinking, oh, but if I don't have a mate, I'm going to die alone? Shame on me if I would ever think that. Oh, God, if I had this house or this job or this money or this thing, then I would be fulfilled. No, actually, what you'll find is that won't fulfill you either because Jesus is all you need. And when you come to that conclusion, strange as it is, I am satisfied. And being satisfied, I'm a much better friend to you. And that's every human being. We'll battle that the rest of our lives until we conclude it and continue to conclude it. Now, what happens, what happens when you try to make something else your satisfaction? So, Jeffrey is a normal, decent young man, Egyptian, but doesn't want to kill a frog, right? So Jeffrey walks into his house, and there are frogs everywhere. Jeffrey can't step. He's frozen. He calls for his sister, Gina, who's sleeping in the next room. She can't move, because if she rolls over, she's going to kill a frog, or 20. So he calls to his servants. Well, one of his servants was mixing some bread. And he goes, can you make me something to eat? Sorry, the moment I try to knead the bread, a frog jumps in. It says, in your kneading bowls. Did you see that? Well, we can't heat up the oven because we don't want to cook a frog. Do you see what happens? What happens is your whole life that was so vast became this. Because you were trying to find fulfillment outside of the place where it came from. Does that make sense? Well, let me show you how far that goes. When that started, go back to the book of Genesis, chapter 3. Look at it with me. Some of you are going to go and get some soul food today, eat some frog legs just because of this text. Glory to God for the freedom he gives us. In Genesis 2, God said to Adam that he may eat freely of every tree of the field but one, of the garden but one. By the way, do you know the word for garden is paradiso, like paradise? Do you realize what that is? thought you might find that interesting. He says you can eat of all the trees but one. Stay away from one. Now, if you're anything like me, I think, one. Which one? What does it look like? All right. How horrible is that? See how fallen I am? I don't think, 
Well, what do the other ones look like? Can I see them all? No, no. What's the one look like? Where is it? <laughs> what are all the paths to it? So I know how to avoid them. Right? Yeah, you ever have that? And by the way, that's built into us now. You know that? You tell your children, don't go near the cookies. Which ones? These cookies? Why are you standing so close? I just want to stand near them. <laughs> Why do you want to stand near the cookies? I, I just, I just want to look at them. What are you doing? I just, I just want to touch one. I want to touch one. What's that brown on your face? That's not. It's just a birthmark. <laughs> birthmark. You know, you tell them, look at a heart to stand near sin is a heart to sin. You know that. You know. But it's every one of us. And Paul even said that. He says, look at, I wouldn't even know what it was to covet until God said, don't do it. I'm like, don't, what, don't want what? Don't want what? Right? He says, look at, God looks at you and he says, everything but this. Stay away from everything but this one thing. This one thing. There's 120 chairs in here. Don't sit in that one. And you're like, why, why not? What's, what's wrong with this chair? That's right. All right. <laughs> You know, you're waiting for the music to stop. Oh, I, I don't know. The music just stopped. I had to sit down. It was, you know, Pavlov's dog. You know? <laughs> Look at what the enemy does. Genesis 3.1. Now, the serpent was more cunning than every beast of the field, which the Lord had made. And he said to the woman, which, by the way, gets the information secondhand. God had already spoken to the man before she was made. Has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Do you see what he's doing? This God who made, who gave you life, who gave you this beautiful place to explore and enjoy, now he's the party pooper. What, you listen to Christian music? It's all like about God, right? I wish all Christian music was about God. Oh, that's called Christian music. There's some stuff that they call Christian music that I'm more depressed listening to <laughs> than I could Disney. Not that I would <laughs> listen to that. Some of it's very edifying. I'm not telling you not to listen to that. But be discerning. Not everything that glistens is gold. So they say, oh, your music is like so religious. Well, let's check out your music and see how wide your field is. I want to get jiggy with you. I wonder what that song is about. <laughs> want to love you all night long. What's that one about? Um, oh, and I know it. What's that one about? All right. I go, wow, you know, here's the difference. The enemy goes, look it, you know, he's like, God just doesn't let you eat anything, you know, and look at, we have the whole garden. No, you have a shrub. That's what you have. You've got one little thing, and the whole world's going to try to pick off it. Get away, get away, so I could have some of it, right? And we're kind of, what, what are we doing? We're going, what's going on over there, right? Ooh, that's, I mean, everyone's starving, and they're like, ah, I gotta have a little, just a little. Get away! I a little. This is so fulfilling. Get away! Right? And the Lord's like, you've got the whole garden to explore. But someone said, oh, God's so limiting. He's so limiting. <laughs> what just happened, right? Now think about it for a second. God said, you can't do that. Yeah. It's like, okay, look at So imagine, imagine, right? So it's the first day of the job. First day of the job. And then I went, we're, we're kind of hanging out for a while. Dada comes over and he's like, look at what's a construction site? I said, see that? I said, hammer. What do you do with it? You hit a nail with it. Okay. I'll tell you what. Don't hit yourself in the head with it. Don't hit any of the guys in the head with it. And whatever you do, don't hit me with it. You're so limiting. <laughs> yeah, we've got a job to get done here. We've got a job to get done. Well, I just, I, I think I should be able to do whatever I want with this thing. You're fired. 
that that guy's just so close-minded. Yeah. I happen to love the rest of the workers enough to not have some psychopath run around and beat people with a hammer. Is that mean? Annie goes to the doctor, Dr. Bruno. <laughs> and Bruno sits down and says, Annie, I've got some tough, uh, tough news for you. The giant purple lesion that's sticking out of your side the size of a watermelon, that's a tumor. We need to get rid of it. And then he says, why? I like it. It makes me special. Everything I have to get is special now. All my clothes are different now because I have to have this little lumpy thing on the side. Right? Close-minded. Mr. Healthier Than Thou. And Bruno says, but I, but I care. This thing's going to kill you. Says who? Says this book here, this, this medical journal. Well, the book's wrong. Why? Because you disagree? Yeah. I want to make up my own rules. My own rules say this is nice. Yeah, but see, I want to save your life. Yeah, 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 whatever, close-minded bigot. Thank you very much. She walks off and dies. Close-minded. That poor guy is so limited. He's so limited, he wants to get rid of my tumor. And then you walk through this world and people look at you. Now, please let me make this clear. God is not a God of nods. He's a God of instead ofs. Do you know what it's like to wake up and not worry about what disease you could have gotten? Not worry about where, who's going to arrest you or not going to arrest you? What you did last night and hope that, somebody, that nobody remembers because you can't? Some of us know those days when that was, the, that was our life. The opposite. Some of us remember the first time we drove somewhere and there was a policeman behind us and we, our heart raced and then went, I have nothing to be concerned about. That was just an involuntary response. I'm okay. See, there's something amazing that happened. Oh, but that's exciting. Sure, so is bungee jumping. And you know what? It's a lot safer, strangely enough. And here's the reason I say that. Is that the world is going to tell you that you're limited. And you know what? Let me just say it. You are. You're limited from grief. You're limited from regret. You're limited from hurting other people. You're limited from hurting yourself. Is that okay with you? And the strange thing is all of that is on one tree that you're supposed to stay away from. The knowledge of good and evil, here's the strange part. You already had the knowledge of good. You hadn't bitten into the other. But notice how the enemy comes at you. Didn't he say you couldn't have anything? You're going to die single if you're a Christian. Mm. Or you're going to marry like one of those guys that no one else is going to marry. How limiting. I'm, I'm just coincidentally looking in your direction tonight. <laughs> here's, the, here's the point, friends. Here's the point. We could go through the 12 tr or, these, the, or the 10 plagues. And we could flip through these 12 plagues like it's like, you know, oh, whoop-de-doo, look at There's frogs. We're glad we're past that. No, there's like bitey bugs. But in the end of it all, we need to really take some serious, because understand, God could have just killed every Egyptian and said, now you're free to go. But he didn't. And one of the reasons is, is he loves the Egyptians, and the other is he's really serious about trying to get Egypt out of the people and not just the people out of Egypt. And the same with you. When you came to Christ, he's much more interested in getting you out of the world and not just and the world out of you. Because in the end of it all, the world really needs to see that there is something living in the morgue. And it's you. 
And if you really want to get sucked into all that stuff and bite into heck a little bit, you know what's going to happen? You're going to be so surrounded with it sooner or later. You can't walk. You can't sleep. You can't eat. You can't do anything because everything else is closed in on you. And now you're stuck like these people. Now, Pharaoh's got a problem on his hands. Remember, he's supposed to be keeping the order of the universe. Well, with that, Aaron stretched out his hand, verse 6, over the waters of Egypt, and the frogs came and covered the land of Egypt. Now, verse 7, the magicians did so with their enchantments. By the way, isn't that sweet of them to copy this? It'll be the last time they can pull such a trick, they'll be done. By the next one, they'll be like, that's the finger of God. We're done. But let's be honest. The word, by the way, is lot, and the word lot means secret. It's the same word that is used, by the way, in the four different ways that Jewish people interpret Scripture. The last of them is lot. And the idea of that's like there's secret things. You can turn it all into numbers and figure out, you know, anyways. You get the idea. But So the idea is that they brought them up with their secrets. And with that, I would think, if you were Pharaoh, and there, everywhere you looked was a frog, here a frog, there a frog, everywhere a frog, frog, would you really want anyone else to pull up any more frogs out? I mean, face it, if they keep jumping out of the river, how exactly are you know that, that, that your magicians are doing this anyways? I mean, they're just coming, and they're jumping, and they're coming, and they're jumping. They're like, well, watch this. We could do it too. Like, they were already anyways. With all of that said, well, let's be honest. If you were Pharaoh and you had half a wit within you, wouldn't you say, I'll tell you what, do a real miracle. Stop them. Make them all disappear. Poof, walla, wama. That would be good for me. But that is something they cannot do because when God starts doing something, the enemy is not going to be able to reverse it. And so don't tell me about how you started walking with the Lord and the enemy secretly swept you up and stole your joy. Because, by the way, you just bit into a lie. Jesus said, when I am raised from the dead, when I am raised... I will give you a joy no one can take. Now, you can trade it. The enemy goes, look it, you can have a frog. Give me your joy. Because, see, the, see, the enemy seems to know better than us that a joyful Christian is a pretty powerful thing. A content Christian, godliness with contentedness, well, that's fantastic gain. That's what Scripture says, isn't it? Because people go nuts around you. They go potty around you because they start looking and realizing, wow, how come you ain't running back and forth like everybody else? Because I'm happy. I'm good right here. But wait a minute. You drive me nuts because you remind me that there's somebody out there that's happy without all that. And you're like, mm-hmm. Now you want to give your life to Jesus? And like Pharaoh, some people are so busy trying to prove you wrong, they will die from exhaustion trying to prove you wrong. And not finding him. Notice what Pharaoh has to do in verse 8. Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron, and he said, Entreat the Lord that he may take away the frogs from me and my people. Do you notice he's, he's got to humble himself before them? But not for long. He goes, Please, can you get rid of these things? Oh, magicians can't do it. Yeah, duh. And I will let the people. Notice he doesn't say his people now the people, go, that they may sacrifice to the Lord. And what he's saying is simple. Could you please ask God to stop this? So, by the way, if you notice here, Moses is going to give a promise, and he's not even going to be able to fulfill it all the way. Moses said to Pharaoh, accept the honor of saying when I shall intercede for you. So he goes, okay, I'll tell you what. I'll give you this much respect, Pharaoh. You pick the time. Now, let's be honest. Why would Pharaoh not say now? I mean, wouldn't you say now? Frogs now? I'm, I'm good with just frogs being gone. 
I'll tell you why. Because Pharaoh would rather save face than Egypt. You see, if he could say tomorrow, he could actually publicly declare to the people, by tomorrow they will all be gone. And it'd be true. Pharaoh gets to save face. How sad. If he had actually cared more about the people here and had been less proud, he could have actually saved them another night's lack of sleep. Can I just say this? It's the same with you and with me. I mean, if you're still busy biting into the world, trying to make the world fulfill you, now is the time to say yes. If you want to say it tomorrow, have another wonderful, horrible night of lack of sleep. Another claustrophobic day of not feeling like you can go and do and think and and your life is so limited and your strength is gone. Or you can say yes today and be set free. Jesus said in John 8.34 that whoever commits sin is a slave to it. The idea is that the moment you bite into the hook, it's in your mouth whether you like it or not. But we read in 1 John 3, 6, For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that He might destroy the works of the devil. The word in the Greek for destroy is lusa. Can you say lusa? It means, like we would know, loose. To loosen. Because to really destroy a work of bondage, you loosen, you set them free. Jesus began his ministry in Luke chapter 4, verse 18 by saying, and he quotes, of course, from the book of Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of the sight to the blind, and to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Jesus says, you've been waiting 720 years for the person to come to declare freedom. It's here. In Ephesians 4, 8, it says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive. Jesus went to the cross and took your bondage and put your bondage in bondage. He arrested your arrester. In 2 Corinthians 3.17, it says, Now, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. But remember, God's not a God of nots. He's a God of instead of. You once had a spirit of bondage. I once had a spirit of bondage. Unless you've said yes to Jesus and you came in here with it. But in Romans 8, Verse 15, it says, You did not receive the spirit again of bondage, again to fear. Let me tell you what spirit you did receive. You received the spirit of adoption, by which we cry out, by whom we cry out, Daddy, Abba, Father. God took you from bondage, and he brought you to adoption. It was eight years ago on a sweltering day, the 4th of July in Guangzhou, China, actually in the Nanjing, China, Nanjing, China, 
that a woman comes to our door, our hotel room. She's holding this beautiful little baby. She has prickly heat and a cold. That's a really bad combination. You can't keep it warm because she has prickly heat. You can't make it cold because she has a cold. She's really, really, really thin, really quiet. My wife had been reading, as she tends to do, and she had said, I want to warn you, adopted children tend to cling to their mother first. And so maybe give it about a month, then maybe she'll connect with, with her sister. And then, and then after a period of time, she'll connect with you. And I'm like, that's okay. It's fine with me. I'm good with easing into this. So there I am with a video camera in one hand and a camera in the other, right? Typical dad, right? <laughs> or Marcia, but that's another story. <laughs> <laughs> and so, and uh, <laughs> you, could, you could point at each other. And they bring in this beautiful, this beautiful little Chinese girl. My wife starts crying. I won't say what my daughter cried or not because she's in the room. But, and of course, I'm just, you know, completely contained because I'm sort of, and I'm, I'm holding my two things, just kind of watching and watching and watching. And they carry her over, and they carry her near me, and she looks at me. She grabs my nose. She probably had never seen anything that big in her life. And for the next three days, I couldn't go to the toilet without taking her with me. And Suzanne's like, oh, come on. You already have a daddy's girl. What's this? And she got a dog, and it didn't help either. So anyway, do you think I love one daughter over the other? I love them both more. I love either of them more than I can imagine. I don't have a gauge for the amount of love I have for my girls. Did one come from my own gene pool? Yeah, you could pray for her. <laughs> but I love them both, and I tell you what, it was the oldest one that actually was the biggest protagonist for adoption in the first place. She'd have a, the, from the moment we agreed, she had a seat you couldn't <coughs> sit in. That was Ruthie's seat. We already knew that was hers. Don't sit there. She'd push an empty chair, like at a swing set, you know, at a public park. She's like, that's Ruthie. And I'm like, okay, we she could look delusional. It's cool. <laughs> it was beautiful. But I remember, I mean, all that time of waiting, and it's like every day my wife, we had to get, you have to get a travel, like a special letter from China that lets you go into their country, and every day she'd run to the mailbox and she'd come back crying, my wife, because she waited for that letter. And man, you just wait, and you're just like, don't worry, it's going to come, it's going to come, it's going to come. And nothing compares to that moment when you hold that little girl in your arms. And here we are, eight years later, and she's sitting on my lap, grabbing my microphone and trying to yell in it before she heads off to children's ministry. Look at If you haven't said yes to Jesus, there's a father who's still waiting to hold you. He hasn't yet. You're too busy trying to do it on your own, and he wants to adopt you. And all you have to do is say yes to Jesus, and he will take you. And he's been waiting, and he's been waiting, and he's been waiting. And can I say, those of us who are believers have been pushing empty chairs and saying, don't sit there, this is for your name here. 
waiting. Because you have not been given again the spirit of fear. God gave you the spirit of adoption. And now I remember that moment when you get to look at, I got to look at my little girl and say, you're mine. Of the 11 million little girls that are in this country waiting to be adopted, you're mine. Man, I know, and I, I just can't even fathom, because I'm evil like the rest of us, how much our Father, who's perfect and without any form of malice or, or evil, holds us and says, well, that's what he said in Isaiah. That's what he said in Jeremiah. I've loved you with a perfect, everlasting love. Therefore, with the cords, with the, with the cords of love, I've drawn you. God says in Isaiah, thus says the God of Israel, you are mine, says the Lord. And I think here that God's looking at a group of people that for 430 years haven't really been very Jewish. They've been Egyptian. God goes, can I just remind you? You're mine. Stop running. Stop trying to find, trying to flip rocks to find something that's so openly available to you in my arms. What are you doing? Now notice how this ends. So the Lord spoke to Moses. He stretched out his hand. Pharaoh spoke to Moses. He stretched out his heart. Moses says, let it be according to your word, verse 10. Look at it with me. Let's wrap this up. That you may know that there's no one like the Lord our God. That is the role, by the way, of an ambassador. This frog thing doesn't compare. The frog shall depart from you, from your houses, from your servants, and from your people. They shall remain in the rivers only. Now, it sounds like I don't know, if, if I were Pharaoh and Moses said this to me, I'd think of like the Pied Piper. Does that make sense? You know, he's like going to blow a flute or something or hold out a staff and all the frogs are going to hop out after him and he's going to go, go into the river. And that's, well, that's not the way God's going to play it. And there's a reason for that. So the Lord did according to the word of Moses and the frogs died out of the houses, out of the courtyards, out of the fields. Well, remember, it was bad luck for you to kill a frog. What happens when you have a house with a thousand dead frogs? Now, when I'm going to go near the smell yet. You think, now what do I do? Do I hide them? Because God has a habit. Can I just say this? God has a habit of killing your frogs. Because he loves you so much, he'll kill your frogs. Now, if you're like from the like ESPCA or something like that, that's a metaphor. <laughs> but notice in verse 14, because I think it's so profound. They gathered them together in heaps, and the land stank. Now, is there a part of you that thinks, well, why didn't they burn them? Because they couldn't. Because the Egyptians still worshipped them. They'd rather worship a dead frog than a living God. Isn't that crazy? So you know what you have? A stinky house. A stinky yard. A stinky garden. Stinkville. That's what you got. That's your world. Does your life stink like that because you're still busy trying to shovel into heaps what God's still killing? Now, in, in India to this day, you're aware of the fact that there are people that you can burn with on a funeral pyre, but there are certain people you can't. A holy man, by the way, pregnant woman, somebody bit by a snake, a leper. You can't actually burn those people. You actually have to let them float in the Ganges. 
so you can dip and bump into them, you know, Uncle Hal or whatever, or as you're kind of going and doing your pilgrimage. And I'm not trying to pick on that. The whole, I just, it amazes me because of how, how dangerous that is. And, and yet in that, the whole idea is, is that I see that all the way back here because God's like, look at, I've, I've killed that. Can you let it go now? Can you let me remove it? Are you still trying to hold on to something? Am I still trying to hold on to something that maybe one time seemed so fulfilling, but it just doesn't anymore? God's like, I killed it for a reason. And you're like, but, but who am I now? God says, let me take care of that. Don't be like verse 15, please, as we bring this to prayer. Pharaoh saw that there was relief, so he hardened his heart. He did not heed them. By the way, for what it's worth, in the verb tense, it's hypho, which means he was the cause of it. It wasn't like God made this happen at this point. Pharaoh looked, he saw it, he says, we're done with that. I'm back to where I was before. Amazing. How many things we can ignore, how many warning signs, how many dead frogs, and we still won't surrender ourselves to the one who really fulfills us. It didn't hit him just like the Lord said. My friends, as we go to prayer, let me just talk to you Christians, and me too first. Is it really still God's for saving and the world's for fun? Is that where we're still at? Are we still at the place where we actually enter into our relationship with the world with a sense of need? even though Jesus is supposed to be the one that fulfills us? Or what does that do for us? What testimony is that? I'd like to pray a dangerous prayer today, and that is simply this. God, fulfill me and kill my frogs. You know, not a lot of churches could pray a prayer like that, <laughs> at least, and understand what in the world they were saying. Say, what did you learn in church? We learned that God kills frogs. Wow, what kind of church is that? Next week we'll be having our Service at the zoo. Just kidding. Uh, just kidding. But does that make sense to pray such a prayer? Because, see, the world really is starving for evidence of somebody satisfied. And strangely enough, we're supposed to be it. But if you're not sure whether you've accepted the gift of Jesus Christ or you're sure you haven't, I'd love the honor today of inviting you. Now, not to some political movement not to some club or clique, to the one who created you to be with him and loved you so much he'd rather die than live without you. The one who wants to adopt you today to take away your emptiness, your desperation, and fulfill you. But I can't make you make that choice, but the Holy Spirit's going to bother you while you deal with him today you could say yes and be set free and I can't think of a better environment to say yes in than this one where everyone else in the room perhaps has already said yes to that same thing will you pray with me please Lord God thank you thank you for the beauty the privilege of being able to worship you in the study of your word. Thank you, Lord, for how relevant this situation, 34, 3,600 years later, would be to us. Lord, as now we, we get to this place where we're forced to do a little bit of introspection, where this is so much more than just, wow, God's angry at frogs. God, that you really want to 
resolve in our hearts that you are our satisfaction. And so, Lord, please today, will you minister to us? And I just want to give you permission, God, to kill all the frogs in my life. Whatever they be, Lord, some I may not even know, things that I'm chasing after for fulfillment, a fulfillment that only you can bring. I pray, Lord, for every Christian here who has somehow been deceived by the enemy and in doing so has found himself or herself in a state of disenchantment, dissatisfaction, right where the enemy would want them. And there's a world around them looking to see what it really means to be satisfied in you. I pray, Lord, that you would deliver them right now. Where your spirit is there is freedom. Bring freedom now. Deliverance. Please, God. I pray for every marriage that you would bring satisfaction in you so that the marriage could prosper. I pray for every parent that you would bring satisfaction in you so that they don't try to live vicariously through their children, but they could delight in them every person in the work field that they can find satisfaction in you so that they don't try to find completeness in their work for every student for every socialite God that we would that we would allow you to be everything you desire to be in our lives completely our satisfaction And Lord, within this room and in the sound of this voice, God, you know who has responded to your gospel and who hasn't. And Lord, I pray today that you would, by the power of your Holy Spirit, the one who convicts of sin, righteousness, and judgment, speak now to the heart of every person grappling right now. And I'm going to pray a prayer right now, and I ask you to listen. And if at the end of this prayer you're willing to say yes, you agree, I ask you to give a confident, resounding amen. And what you're saying is, I agree. Let that prayer be my prayer. So be it in my life. And here it is. God, I confess to you I'm not perfect. I've done wrong, felt wrong, thought wrong. And you as a righteous judge have the right to punish all wrongdoing. But you in your infinite love for me sent Jesus to die on the cross to pay for the penalty of all my wrong, all my sin. That in doing so, my unrighteous judgment or the judgment for my unrighteousness could be paid in full so that I could be restored to you where you desire for me to be that I could be adopted by you, Father, delivered out of this bondage into your arms, into the Son that you love. So I say yes. Yes to Jesus as my ransom. Yes to Jesus as my pardon. But as he not only died but rose again, I say yes to Jesus as my Lord.
Be the architect of my reinvention. Have me now, I pray, as I belong to you. I'm yours. I'm yours. In Jesus' name. And if you agree, I ask you to say, Amen.